0: Hebrews 13, 10 to 15. For we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then Go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you Thank you, TEDu. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are you all doing? Well, I'm sure some people are, I'm fine today, but that's fine. Uh, church is not always the place you come to when you are feeling good. in fact. Many times church is the place you come to because you are not feeling good, Amen. And so if there's somebody like that today, I pray that you'll be encouraged at the end of this sermon. Amen. Okay, um, as Chidima said, um, we've been going through a series. Um, well, it's a mini series, so we are coming to an end today, sadly. do oh, wow. oh. you want to keep seeing Satan all the time? <laughs> 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 all right, but um, and, uh, it's a mini series, and you know, it's been, it's been. I think it's been a good thing going through these, as as we've tried to say over and over again. This series is not here to glorify Satan. It's really to be, to be more aware of him. So and they're more aware of what God has given us so that we can continue to exact victory over him. Amen? Um, I don't know why, oftentimes, I, when I'm preaching, I always like thinking about um, when I was growing up. So I often will start with, when I was growing up. I'm going to do another when I was growing up again. Um, but it, it, let, me ask, let me answer a question that a lot of us don't know. Um, but let me ask the question first. Do you know where the HIV virus came from? Who knows? Well, I'm hearing different answers. You you aren't sure. I'll tell you where it came from. It was created by the US government, some scientists scientists that belonged to the US government. And it was done in the early 80s. And the reason why they did it was to be able to really was to destroy African-Americans and homosexuals. That was the reason why. Uh, where are your facts? You said, no, no, no. Well, when I was growing up, <laughs> that was the word on the street. Like, literally, it was, it was fact. Because at this point, the, the AIDS pandemic was growing. And people would just literally all around say, ah, you don't know where it was. The U.S. government, some scientists there. And people were saying it like fact. And you know why? It's because... It actually was printed somewhere in a newspaper in July 1983, somewhere in India. A newspaper carried that report. It was an obscure newspaper. No one really knew much about it. But a couple of months after, the same story started to show up in Indonesia and certain places in Asia. It didn't grow as much, but by the time you got to 1985, I think it was um, September 1985, at this point it had flooded Africa. And as the thing started to grow, as AIDS then started becoming a, pan, uh, an, um, a pandemic, or well, not a pandemic, I can't even remove it, but as it started becoming endemic, right, rather, all of a sudden it started growing in Eastern Europe. And by October 1986, in fact, one of the dailies in UK had already carried that same story. It started to multiply, 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 until one of the most reputable uh, newscasters in America, a man called Dan Rather, on, in March 1987, spoke about the story. All the while, this story was originated by a department in the Soviet intelligence organization called the KGB. The KGB cooked up that story, put it in that Indian newspaper, and literally put it there and just said, let's see how it grows." This is the art of what they call disinformation. Disinformation. Now, disinformation is different from propaganda. I'll tell you what the difference later. But this was what disinformation was. In fact, in this special unit in the KGB, most of us think about, well, we know about the KGB. Most of us think about the KGB, we think about espionage, spies, and all of that. And it's true. But only 15% was spent on espionage. 85% of their budget was spent in this Department of Disinformation. In fact, they hired over 15,000 agents. And if you were in the KGB self at all, 25% of your time was spent trying to cook up stories that they could use as these things that they can plant in some of these newspapers. Are you following what I'm saying? In fact, you are appraised for how good, how many stories you came up with. Can you imagine your appraisal? You're like, ah, I mean, ah, this story was really good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and this tactic continues to be part of Russian intelligence today. Some of you may not know, but Soviet Union and Russia are not the same thing. Well, I'm just putting it out there. I like, eh, really? Okay. It still continues to be used as part of Russian intelligence today. Little wonder. Because in 1975, there was a guy who enrolled into the KGB. 25 years later, the guy became the president of Russia and is still the president today. Disinformation. Disinformation. We've been learning things about Satan. Let me tell you one thing Satan is. He was probably the originator of that KGB unit. See, We said that Satan opposes the kingdom of God in a variety of ways. And we've taken the parable in Matthew chapter 13 to see how he opposes. And we looked at the first one that he does it with deception. We looked at the second one that he uses gaps that are created by persecution. Now, if you read in that Matthew 13, verses, um, let's, see, let's put it, we, um, the seed that fell among the thorns, this is, uh, sorry, the, yeah, he told them many parables. You are confusing me. <laughs> All right, Matthew 13, verse 3, verse 3. He told the main parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, go on. Scattered seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up, first one. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly, the soil was shallow, next one. But when the song, next one, then, and this is the third one. Other seed fell among, say it, among what? Thorns, which grew up, and they did what? choked the plants. Now, what's the interpretation? Go to verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Do you see? The message is not removed. The message is simply what? Crowded out. How? Through the busyness that comes with wanting to make it, the law of wealth, or the worries that come from having made it already. So he puts a lot of disinformation there and he starts to crowd out the message that we heard. This information gets you to distraction. But this distraction causes something else, which is the result of the distractions, this satanic distraction. And what is this? Maybe I can bring a prophet for us. There was a prophet that uh, recently died, I think in 2020, one of the wisest people here in Nigeria. And he tells us the result of of, um, of distractions. His name is Majek Fashek. Majek Fashek once went to New York and he wrote a song about New York. And in the bridge to the chorus of the song, the second line, he tells us what you find. He says, if you look to the right and you look to the left, you look down the south and up to the north, all you see is confusion. Sorry, that's the first line. But he tells you that that confusion was produced by something else. So if you look to the right, you look to the left, you look down the south, up to the north, all you see is distraction. The distractions produce what? Confusion. Because what propaganda really is? Propaganda is the ability to convince people about what isn't true. Whereas disinformation is the ability to confuse people about what is true. You see, Satan uses deception like propaganda. That's the first one we talked about. He uses deception like propaganda, and he wants to convince us about his lies. But there are some people that would get, some other people he won't get them. Some other people he would use what? He will use disinformation. He will flood you with a lot of information that you get confused about what is true, about what God has said about you. Are you following me? Sometimes he uses both of them on one person if you are particularly a problem. <laughs> there are some people around there that he uses the three of them on you. But God is setting you loose today in the name of Jesus. So we must not be ignorant about this satanic um, uh, weapon, the satanic distractions, where he comes to flood our minds with so many different things that we end up becoming distracted and therefore confused. And it's such an effective weapon, I actually think right now it is his most effective weapon. But Satan is being crushed under our feet. God has a weapon that is stronger than this satanic weapon. God has a way to counteract this satanic confusion. In fact, you know what God does? He ends up, I'm going to form some words here, he ends up distracting the distractor. He ends up confusing the word confuser. Where? Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. The weapon is this. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly confess or profess his name. Like, really? That is it? Oh, you just wait and see. So as we conclude this series, as we enter into the last phase of this thing, I want you to be confident. I want you to be expectant that whatever the enemy has brought your way, God will defeat in the name of Jesus. Listen, for where the first one, spiritual understanding was designed to weary Satan, and then prophetic intercession was designed to terrorize Satan, what the genuine praise and worship has been given to us to do is to confuse Satan. A friend of mine sent me a text from Paris. He's also a pastor. He said, I see what you people have been doing. Crushing Satan underneath your feet. I want to say, you ain't seen nothing yet. We didn't wait for the third sermon. I pray today that by the the special grace of God, that people who have been confused by Satan's destruction today, you will experience the liberty of God. Oh Lord, we pray that you will turn the tables around on Satan. Father, we pray that just as Jesus saw Satan fall as lightning down to the ground, let him fall, oh God. But Let him fall to the feet of your people today so that we can crush him. May the God of peace crush Satan under our feet in the name of Jesus. I pray that as we listen, we will experience unique and timely victories over our enemy. Through Jesus Christ, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So, Last week, I said I was here to come and prime us before we get into the real battle. And that's exactly what I'm going to do this week. Now, but what some people made a mistake, they now told me, because some of the staff told me, they said, when I said I was going to prime, they thought I was just going to preach for 20 minutes. (laughs) Let me tell you, I'm not preaching for 20 minutes. But we are still going to war today. Now, so with um, this sermon with titled, Defeating Satanic Distractions. Now, we're going to look at it under three headings. First one is, empowered by praise, Warring through praise and then defiance through praise. Empowered by praise, warring through praise, and then defiance by praise. Let's start with the first one now. Empowered by praise. Satan wants to kill your passion. That's essentially what he's trying to do. He's trying to kill your passion. Because he knows if he gets your passion, then so many other things will, 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 will enter, will, will come with it. It's an indirect means to get us, but it's one he uses so effectively. Let me explain how. Now, in that text, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, it says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, what he's contrasting here is the altar that the New Testament people of God have from the altar that the Old Testament people of God had. He's contrasting both of them. But I want to speak a bit generically and take the very first statement. It says we have an altar. Here's the thing. Everybody has an altar. And what are altars? Altars are where we sacrifice offerings to our chosen gods or our chosen saviors. It's where we give them something for which we think they will give us something in return. It's an expression of our devotion to that chosen god or to that chosen saviour. Now, here's what Satan does. Here's the trick. Satan wants us. Doesn't, it's not even that he needs us. He wants us to explicitly say that we offer sacrifices on one altar. Say, so, oh, let them say they just serve God. But whilst you are saying, I only offer sacrifice on one altar, Satan will distract you Right with all the busyness and the worries of life to be offering sacrifices on different altars. And all the while you'll be saying, I only sacrifice to this on this altar. In other words, he's very happy for you to say, I serve God, God is my God, but with busyness and the worries of life, he causes you to serve other gods. And so while he's doing that, he's draining from you spiritual power. I'm talking about the legitimate things that Satan puts in our lives that come to steal our passion from God. And what he's basically doing, and if you may think about this, we all have something called a spiritual tank. Okay, you know your, um, your, your fuel tank, right? You know your fuel tank. You know, I don't know, nowadays, you know, God has lifted a lot of us. But maybe when you are in school or maybe you are just trying to make it, you know, you are very aware of the tank. And we have about six levels in the tank. We have the full, three-quarter, half, quarter, what? No, not end. Light. Light. Uh, light. Some of you here, you'll be like, ah. They say, your tank is empty. They say, no, no, it's on light. (laughs) It's not yet because it's still moving. So there's light and then there is empty. Now, what Satan tries to do is to drain that spiritual tank. And he doesn't do it by just draining it from uh, the field that is there. No, he pours something else inside so that the real thing can come out. Are you following me? That's what distractions do. So let's gauge our spiritual tank today. Because there are six levels, as we said. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are either enjoying him, or we are striving, or we are coasting, or we are drifting, or we are freezing, or we are falling. Let's take the first one. I said, first one. Let's enjoying. Okay, where is my table? I can't see the table. Oh, right. okay, you can see the uh, the thing, right? Enjoying, striving, coasting, drifting, freezing, and falling. All right. Now let us look at. Uh, let's look at some of the descriptions. Let's take the first two: enjoying and freezing. Is it showing? Cut me. I can't see there. Ah, better let me get my own on my stuff here. So, who are those who are enjoying? Well, who are enjoying people? Enjoyment people are those who are con- continuously conscious of God's presence. Their thoughts and their deeds are integrated. They're always, you know, they're always meeting God in certain places. Are, their relationship with God is so sweet. When it comes to church, their attendance and their participation in church and their giving is absolutely consistent. These people are not suffering any major sin or any minor sin. In fact, the only sin that they have is that they're not here fully like Jesus. How many of us are enjoying God? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah uh, uh, Anita, uh, okay, everybody, please kneel down. Anita wants to pray for us because I need that anointing. Now, maybe we may hit it here and there. Sometimes we may, we may, we may experience some sweetness here and uh, some of this enjoyment here and there, and that puts you in the second category. Where we are striving, it's striving to enjoy. And these are people that are constantly trying to improve. They have a good relationship to God, but they're trying to improve. So they have no major sins. But some minor sins occur every once in a while. Thoughts aren't as good as their deeds. Alright? So they're not explicitly committing sin, but sometimes they have to battle thoughts and the temptations that are there. They're occasionally conscious of God's presence. I'm not just talking about God's truth, but God's Presence. They occasionally have those enjoying at times. Their prayer life is scheduled and is consistent. Church attendance, participation and giving, very consistent. So we are striving. You are somewhere, you know, if they ask you, how are you and God? You say, we are good, but it can be better. Because you know, you've tasted some of that enjoyment thing, and you say, I, I know I can be better. Those are the first two. What about the last two? Freezing and falling. Freezing, uh, I said last two. Abby, it's like, it's like the guy knows what he's he actually knows what he's doing. Okay, sorry, who are the people that said no? Maybe you want to come and preach the message. Wow. Uh, are you sorry? All right, I forgive you. I forgive you because people like us, we, we are striving, you know, we are just trying to. All right, so freezing, these are the last two. Uh, Freezing is second to last, constantly living in various forms of sin. Constantly. Your heart is far from repenting. No, you don't even repent again. You publicly live more like a non-Christian than a Christian. Most people will identify you as a non-Christian. They say, ah, uh, okay, let me not call somebody's name now before they now say it. They say, ah, Dami is a Christian, eh? He <laughs> preaches in church, really? <laughs> I'm not calling anybody's. There's no, uh, I just said Dami out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Church attendance, participation, and giving are around 5 to 10%. So they show up in church on, on Easter, they show up in church on Christmas, they never miss December 31st. That one, no, 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 no. Like we have been outside of God throughout, but this one I'm entering into the next year with God. Right? December 31st, they're always there. They're involved in Christianity to the extent that they want God to do something for them. This is the state that precedes the next one, following. You commit major sins habitually. You care little about God. No longer attends church except for an event. No longer takes on Christian labor. Now, you see the contrast between the first two and the latter two. Most of us will say, oh, we're not in the latter two. And here's the thing. Satan never presents the latter two for you. And this is the problem. The middle two are the problem. And the middle two is where I would say that most Christians are, and maybe a lot of us in this place. So let's go into the first two, uh, those two. Coasting. You have committed a major sin, but consistently have strong temptation to continue in them. you committed a major sin, you're not doing it regularly, but you have temptation to continue in them. There are aspects of your life that are hidden from most of your Christian community. You are involved in a lot of minor sins, But you repent when you become overwhelmed of them. Spiritual activities are inconsistent, uh, spiritual activities which are inconsistent are more routine than felt. You feel more at home in a club than you feel in church. Aware of God's presence once or twice a year, at most a year. Regularity of church attendance, participation, and giving are around 50%. So you come to church. This Sunday, ah, the next Sunday, I was a bit tired. I had a very, my Saturday was really, really tough. Never ran for any church and non Sunday meetings. And stylishly withdrawing from accountability. Spare time is filled majorly with non explicit Christian activity. When it comes to the latest Netflix, whatever, you've got it. All that tiredness of, if you know my Saturday, was Netflix, so. You make excuses. You, every time there's something in church to do, that's when you make an excuse for why you can't. But once there's a hangout somewhere, a friend of yours coming, ah, I'm like, yeah, I can. Then you wonder why you are giving less than you are meant to be giving. And then the next stage is even worse. Drifting. Commit major sins regularly. And why, you see, because when you are in the coasting stage, you know, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. You are confessing it alone to God. And so it was setting you up for a position, and you didn't deal with those temptations. So now you are in drifting, you commit major sins regularly, and while you occasionally repent, you are becoming comfortable with them. Privately lives more like a non Christian than a Christian, hasn't been recently aware of God's presence, does some personal devotions when convenient. Church attendance participation are given around 25%. And even when you do that, you think you are doing us a favor. Those are the people that, when they come to church like this, after we finish, because they come in late and they'll, after they come in late, but when they come, when they finish, they will now quickly come and meet me and say, "Ah, transfer me. I'm here." <laughs> you know yourself. Be warned. <laughs> I know you. Twenty-five percent, but comes late, leaves early. Actively avoids any form of accountability. Where are you, and where's your spiritual level? Because. What Satan does, particularly in those middle two, as I said, is that he makes us make unconscious offerings on altars of idols. It is because of your trying to make it. You don't know how busy I am just trying to make this dollar. All the worries that you have, I need to secure this thing that I have gotten with my own hands. And it's draining and draining and draining our spiritual tank. And we don't feel that sense of enjoyment. We don't feel that sense of connection that we have once experienced with God. This is why satanic distractions are very dangerous. But God will turn things around for us. And how does he do that? As worshippers of God through Jesus Christ, as we saw in this text, right? What does it say? Verse 15 again. Through Jesus, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And I want to focus on a particular thing. He uses a lot of legitimate things to take our minds away. But when he says offer him a sacrifice of praise, he is pointing to the area of music. And in this area, Satan really executes his strategy. Can I say this? As a pastor, and you know, talking to some of a lot of us, and just looking at the landscape. Do you know how critical music is to life? Like, things that normally, if you can, we are singing today, for instance. Do you know how many songs a lot of you know by memory? If I ask you to repeat what I said two sermons ago, can you remember? You just say, we shall learn how to defeat satanic lies, sir." Huh? But we recall, music has a way of imprinting things on our souls, all forms of music. And yet, when I look at your playlist, oh my God. I mean, there's a stunning lack of influence that explicit Christian music has on Christians. On Christians. When we look at our playlist, most of you, if I say, let me see your favorite playlist. How many explicit Christian songs are there? That's when you bring out the, eh, 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 eh. I, I have liberty, I can be free. You have liberty; you can be free. Continue to defend yourself morally. Satan is defeating you strategically. Be weary of what dominates the imprint of your soul. You see, but but God has allowed us. We can't. Are you saying we cannot listen to any music that is not secular? That is, that, is always, that is only secular. Of course, you can. I'm not saying you cannot. But look at this. I am free to talk to women that are not my wife. Do you know? I am free. I am free to talk to women that know my wife, and I talk to a lot of women in this church and outside. But imagine I was talking to a particular woman more than I was talking to my wife. What would you say? We have a problem. I am free to listen to all kinds of music, yes, but you don't listen to God's music more than the others. Do we have a problem? Because it's what is being imprinted on your soul. That's why in Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Father, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if, any if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, when you say think, once you say, eh, I was I was calling it. The way you think and put it inside your heart, the best way is through what? Music. Have you never gone to bed with a particular song? And when you woke up, what were you singing? Have you not started your day with a particular song? And somehow you can't get that song out of your mind. There was a song I can't forget. You know, one time I was, I think it was I was seven. Every morning, busybody, yay! What is this? Eventually when I left, everywhere I'm going, busybody, yay! It was in my mind. And all the while, all the while, as Satan is imprinting all of these different things, you don't even know how some of the songs that you listen to, yes, the artistic, whatever is great and everything, the lyrics are profane, all of those things, all of a sudden you start opening up windows in your mind that temptations start coming in. You don't know why. And then all of a sudden we are being drained. But let me tell you, I have good news for you because there is a way that we can be edified again. And how do we do this? It is through the mystery of hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says we offer sacrifices of praise to God. The meaning of hallelujah is praise to Yahweh. Hallelujah. So what's this mystery of hallelujah? Now, thank you for asking. And I want you to pay close attention because I'm going to go through a number of scriptures. Give me about seven or eight minutes of your time. We're going to go a little bit deep here and on something I've never really shared before. But there is a powerful biblical truth that I want to teach us about music's edifying power. Because what we really need is to be edified when we have been drained. Are you following me? We need our spiritual tanks to be filled up when we have been drained. You see, there was a guy called Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Before he became king, he went to meet the prophet Samuel, who told him he would be king. By the time Samuel was finished with Saul and had anointed Saul, he told Saul, Something is about to happen to you. You're about to become a changed man. The Spirit of God is about to come upon you. But what's going to happen is, first of all, you are going to meet certain prophets. This is in 1 Samuel 10, verse 5 and 10. You will meet certain prophets and notice what those prophets will do. You will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with what? Lyres, timbers, pipes and harps. What are they doing with them? They are making music. Play, play before them, they will, be, they will be doing what? So there was the music there, but there was also the prophesying. And then what happens? When he did this, when he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met them the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he joined in their prophesying. What was this form of prophesying? What, what does he mean by prophesying? Is it prophecy when the Bible says that we have a more sure word of prophecy that's a like scripture? No. Is it, was it predicting an event? If it was predicting an event, prophecy in that regard, we would have been told about it. No, it wasn't that. What was it? I think we have a clue. Because notice about the lyres and the timbrels and all of those things. What happened to Saul when he started prophesying and the spirit of God came upon him in an ecstatic way? David then put in an organized way in the temple. In 1 Chronicles 25, David is organizing what is going to be done in the temple. And listen to what he says. David together with the commanders of the army set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. Where have you seen Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun before? in the psalms for so the ministry of i thought the Psalms were about prayers and, and music accompanied by harps lies and symbols so he said that he was going to organize what was going on with those prophets he's going to now do it in the temple but we see that there's an association of them with music and though it says we saw that the Spirit came upon him and he started to prophesy, it doesn't mean that the Spirit was not with these particular people because it was the Spirit that brought about prophesying. But what is this prophesying? As I said, it's not writing a scripture. It's not predicting an event. Here is what it is. Because there was an accompaniment of music, it was a prophetic form of praise. They were praising God prophetically. And you say, man, that, that seems like a jump. Seems like a jump, Pastor. How do you get there? Okay. Let me take you to another place. Acts chapter 2. Remember the Spirit came upon Saul. And what happened? Well, the Spirit descended on the first disciples on a particular day. And so when the Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to do what? Speaking as the Spirit enabled them. They like, hey, okay, Spirit, they spoke in tongues. What does tongue have to do with prophecy? The interpretation. Of what those tongues were, the event. When, when Peter was referring to scripture and what it was, you know when he referred to it as? He said, prophet Joel has talked about this thing. And he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And your sons and your daughters will do what? They will do what? I thought they were speaking in tongues. Oh, but the tongues were a form of Prophecy. You still don't believe. All right. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 8. When Paul lays his hand on some of um, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, right? Those people had not known about Jesus, right? Well, they didn't know about Jesus accurately. So Paul now explained fully to them. And he said, when he laid his hand on them, Paul entered the synagogue. No, is it? Yeah. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly. The, no, no, no. This is not the one I was looking for. Verse 6. It should be verse 6. Why did I say verse 8? Sorry. Verse 6. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit, what? And they spoke in tongues and? Are you following? The prophets, tongues is a form of prophecy. There's no one form of prophecy. But when it comes to tongues, what they are doing is that they are exclaiming. They are praising God in a prophetic way. I say, again, this seems like a fast trade. Frustrating... Well, remember in Acts chapter 2, when it said that people heard what they were saying in Acts 2.11, what did they hear them saying in tongues? we hear them declaring what? The wonderful works of God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it says that whoever speaks in an unknown tongue, he does not speak to people. Who does he speak to? God. And that's why he says that you can, when you are speaking in tongues, he says, you are giving thanks in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 17. He says you are praising in verse 16. You are praising God. You are thanking God. And then you say, well, I thought tongues were the form of prayer. That's why in verse 15 he says, I will pray with the Spirit and I'll pray my understanding. But then what does he say? I will what sing with the Spirit and I will what sing with the understanding. Am I convincing somebody here? That is when somebody is doing this thing, praising. When they are speaking or prophesying in this way, they are saying it to God. But then, what does this all mean for all everything that we are saying? And verse four says this: One Corinthians fourteen, verse four. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does what? Edifies himself. And you see, edifies himself. First of all, he's like okay, but I'm not edified. How about the person? We'll get back to you. Don't worry but he says he edifies himself. And he be like, even when, and that verse says that even when he doesn't understand what he's saying, he edifies himself. Why is it that when we are praising God, we are being edified? See, eh, there are things I appreciate in this world. I told you guys, I like painting. Now, if you give me a canvas to paint, uh, I like paintings, sorry, paintings. If you give me a canvas to paint on, uh, I'm not really going to be enjoying myself. You know why? Because I'm not that gifted to paint. Are, are you following me? Um, I like s- songs and music. If you give me a mic to sing, well, it, uh, um, since last year when something happened to my voice. <laughs> After that, I'm not really going to enjoy it. Do you know why? I'm not that gifted, what, to sing You see, whenever we are doing something we are not very gifted at doing, when you are doing the accounting in your business, when you are doing the marketing in your business, and all you want to do is the core business, you don't feel energized. But let's say the core thing that you understand is consulting. Once you start getting and you're advising clients, they have to stop you to keep quiet. Am I, are you following? This man that is playing this thing here now, as he's doing it, he's strengthening because this is something that he does. With me as well, if you get me to start teaching and preaching as long as I've prepared well, you get? I get energized. Why? Here is a simple truth. We are edified by doing the things that we are most designed to do. And let me tell you why it is that those who are prophetically praising God in tongues, why is it that they are edified? Because at a fundamental level, every human being was created to praise and sing the praises of the one in whose image they were created. And then you now say, okay, but I don't speak in tongues. Not everyone speaks in tongues. I don't speak in tongues, my friend. The problem is not tongues. The issue is not tongues. The issue is the uh, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. They spoke, they, the spirit came upon them, and then they spoke in tongues. And so the issue here is what does the spirit do to all of believers? Because whenever our spiritual tank is low, if we are filled with the spirit, God has a means of edifying us. Somebody give me Ephesians 5:18. Ephesians 5:18. Be filled with the spirit, continually be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in what hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from, from what? your heart to the Lord. Can I tell you one of the greatest or the, no, probably the number one sign that somebody has been filled with the Spirit is that music starts to sound in their heads. All of a sudden they want to speak, they want to sing the praises of God. That's why the first sign there speaking to one another in sounds hymns and songs for the Spirit. I pray that God will cause your mouth to sing again i pray that god will enable you you see when we are singing what are we doing we're singing to the lord hallelujah is being filled back in our lips and it will come into our hands and god will start to edify us and so i want you to look at your playlist again edit your playlist create a new playlist and this one i'm saying put particular christian songs you know those ones that you you liked but some of the new ones nowadays that you may not really understand what's going on you understand some of them i like but you know Some of us we go back to Domoen. Right? You go back to Roncanoli, right? Well that's that's for some people. For some of you here, go back to Hillsong in Ruben Morgan days, go back to Darling Jack. But for so some of you, you like these ones that are going on, put a playlist. Do you know why? Because when Satan's attack is coming, you need the protection of God. In Psalm 32, verse 7, it says, make the Lord your hiding place. When you make him your hiding place, he will protect you. How does he protect you? With songs of what? Deliverance. I pray that God will fill somebody's tank today in the name of Jesus. The hallelujah that has been drawn out of your lips, it shall be restored again. Because this is how our passion is being revived. Somebody says, yeah, but I'm not really that much into music. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not anything on me. I'm just not that much into music. What? <laughs> you don't know the power of what we're talking about. Let me take you back to. Let me take you back to David and Sol again. But this time it's an encounter between them. You see, at this point in their lives, the spirit that was on Saul has left him. And it has now been replaced by an evil spirit. We see this in 1 Samuel 16. It's been replaced by an evil spirit. And this spirit, he said, he tormented Saul, tormented Saul, tormented Saul. He looked for other ways to drive this spirit away. They couldn't work, But there was one way. They said he heard about one shepherd boy. There was a way he played the harp. He would take his lyre and play. Then relief will come to Saul. The music he was playing, relief will come to Saul. He will feel better, and the evil spirit will leave him. Now, make no mistake; it wasn't just the music. The reason why this thing happened, you know why? Remember, Paul was uh, Saul was prophesying. How did he prophesy and sing praises to God? When what? The spirit came on him. Now the spirit had departed him. His hallelujah had gone away. But that same spirit had now rested on who? David. And so when David says, David, verse 16, verse 13, he says, 16 verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And it was because of that spirit and the spirit with the music that the evil spirit Was able to go. You don't care for music. I've often wondered. What do you think David played in that song? What was coming out as he played the lyre? What was he really playing to God? That drove that spirit away. I think I have a clue though. You see the way somebody ends their life. Most people when they are coming to the end of their life. Do you know what thing they do? They start to simplify what they say and they start to repeat the most important things. They simplify. They may just say to their children, please don't fight. Don't fight. They don't go into long explanations. They try and keep it simple. Don't fight. Love your brother. Take care of your sister. And they say it over and over and over again. The way we end our lives is through brevity of statement and repetition. And the way we end our lives should also be the way we should end a book. A book. Speaking of a book, there is a book that Satan hates. And this David that we are trying to imagine what he wrote. This David wrote a lot in that book. It's called the book of Psalms. And remember what I said about the way we end our lives. With brevity and what? Repetition about the things that are most important. I wonder how this book of Psalms ends. You see, I see, Satan hates this book because it, I think it's a terrorist manner against Satan. Because the book starts with what? Do you know what it starts with? It says, uh, 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 someone, blessed is the one who what? Does not dwell in the counsel of the ungodly, does not uh, sit where uh, uh, sinners sit and all of those things. But it says his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. It starts with the word of God spiritual understanding to counteract his lies. But the whole book of the Psalms itself is a book of prayer that gives you prophetic intercession. But how does this book end? Repetition and brevity. Have you checked the last five chapters of the book of Psalms? Maybe you want to go in. Do you know how it starts? Psalm 146 starts like this. Praise the Lord or praise Yahweh to which we say that's what? That's what? Hallelujah. Do you know how Psalm 146 ends? Praise the Lord. That is what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know how Psalm 147 starts? Hallelujah. Say with me, do you know how Psalm 147 ends? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know how Psalm 148 starts? I cannot hear you. Do you know how Psalm 148 ends? Do you know how Psalm 149 starts? Do you know how Psalm 149 ends? Do you know how Psalm 150 starts? Do you know how Psalm 150 ends? God will not remove the hallelujah for your lips. When you imagine what David wrote, when you imagine what David sang that drove the thing away, Don't look, there's somebody that's already imagined it for us. The greatest songwriter of the, of, of the 20th century in the Western world. His name was Leonard Cohen. Do you know what Leonard Cohen imagined what David wrote? Do you know what he said? He said, I heard there was a sacred chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor four, the major lift, the baffle king composing Hallelujah. Can we sing? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the spirit of God is coming upon you now fill up our hands O oh Lord fill it up with your hallelujah yeah. the mystery of hallelujah hallelujah is the chant of prophetic praise and at the same time it is a sign of war Amen. Amen. And so that takes me to my second point. Warring through praise. You see, what we just looked at is the implicit nature of spiritual warfare. We are making a sign. But also we looked at it from a personal standpoint. How it applies to you. Now I want us to go a bit deeper and see how we directly confront Satan. And also not looking at it from a personal standpoint, but from what? A collective standpoint. Last week we talked about King Asa. We looked at him in two Corinthians 14, uh, 2, Chronicles, yeah, two Chronicles fourteen. That was during the prayers, and we said Asa brought down the um, the high places, the altars that were offered to other other gods, and that by doing that, for us, that is as we spiritually um, attack it's, when we engage in spiritual intercession. That what happened after that, when Asa did that, was building started. They started building. And in fact, I should say this, this is just an aside, because we didn't get to pray about it. Please, as we are getting prophetic intercession, one thing you should pray about, and I hope this will not be controversial, but one thing we should pray about is, say when we are interceding for this nation, please pray for building projects. And I mean it. Forget whether you think there's something like a spirit of abandon project or what have you. Just leave that aside. But when we are interceding for this nation, yes, we want bad things to stop happening, but we want the bad things to to move away so that the good things can start happening. Are you following what I'm saying? And so remember, he said Asa dealt with the high places and then he started to build. And there are many building projects. I can think of the rice mill that is in Korodu. I can think of the, uh, if you go to Lekki Free Trade Zone, some of the things that are there. Some of them say, yeah, but the person that is doing it is some kind of wicked man. My friend, God used Cyrus, and God used Artaxexus, and God used so many places to bless his own people. There are certain projects that, that, that are being done in this country that will benefit both the wicked and the righteous. And it doesn't matter who is doing it. Pray for some of these people. Pray for some of these men and these women that are doing ambitious things. Don't be distracted by all the tabloid news about what they are doing in their private life. and all That was your own business day. Let them start building the road. Let them start building the refinery for us, isn't it? So let's intercede. You go to certain projects, you say, God, let this thing finish. Because are you not tired sometimes? You see one bridge. The bridge has started. We have all entered, hold up. And then after, they just stop. At that point, are you caring how many wives the person has? Please finish the bridge. Father, let all projects be completed in the name of Jesus. All right, so that's just their side. All right, back to this one. So Asa had a son called Jehoshaphat, and he raised him well. And largely, in Jehoshaphat's time, they said that the kingdom had rest. It had rest. But there came a time in chapter 20, and we spend a lot of time in chapter 20, that he had a massive problem. A massive problem. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 2. this is what he it said. It Says said, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Hold on, look at me. From the other side. Now that vast army, eh, it was <laughs> it was a coalition. Not all coalitions are good. Though. It was a coalition of the Moabites, uh, sorry, the Ammonites, the Edomites. And the, uh, I can't remember the last one. What was it? Eh? No, not Jebusite. Uh, stop guessing now. <laughs> That's Ibukun there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get them. Right. But a coalition of three, three people, they were coming against him. And if you just think, because sometimes you don't read the scripture, you'll be like, eh, what's the nice? You know, army. Three, three different countries against you. The scale of the problem was so bad that when Jehoshaphat cried to the Lord, he, he tells you the scale of the problem. He says, God, <laughs> he said, we have I'm just going to pray He said, we have no power to face this army that is attacking us. And we don't know what to do. We have no power and we don't know what to do. Have you ever been in that kind of problem? You know, there's problem you, you see, there's a problem where you have the power to do, you just don't have the wisdom. There is the problem where you have the wisdom, you just don't have the means or the power. But when Satan has really entered something, you don't have the power, nor what, the wisdom. I don't have fuel in my car, and I don't even know where I'm going. Hey God. So the problem was so big that he knew we cannot do anything. There is nothing we can do. Listen to me. When your problem is so big that you know nothing to do, that problem has God written on top of it. That's why he says we have no power, we, have no, we, we, have, we don't know what we're doing. He said, so our eyes are what? On you. He says, our eyes are on you. When it becomes so overpowering, then God is in it. So God sent them a prophet. After Jehoshaphat cried, God sent them a prophet in, um, in verse 15. And when the prophet came and after he spoke the word, I'm not doing fifteen yet. When he spoke the word, Jehoshaphat said something in verse 20. He said, listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be what? Successful. You have a problem and God sends a word. Have you come to this place with a problem? I have a word of God for you. Have you come with an overwhelming problem? I have a word from God from you. And it comes from verse 15 and 17. He says it two times so that you will be sure. He says, do not be afraid. And what? Do not be discouraged. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because as we said this battle is no longer your own it has been taken out of your hands He says that you will not fight this battle because the battle is not yours it is what? it is God's own there are problems that sometimes amount there is a way the enemy comes like a rushing mighty flood and when he does that it is just an indication that it has been taken away from your hands this one is for God amen, amen. and so if we, that is the way it is going to be then after this prophetic word has come what then happens? then what happens was stunning Absolutely stunning because you cannot see it coming. It says in verse nineteen, then some of the some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up. Ah, wait, stop. Who are these guys? They stood up. And who are they? In one Chronicles sixteen, we are told again David is setting up. One Chronicles sixteen, he said these are the men David put in charge of the what of the what in the house of the lord they ministered with music before the tabernacle the tent of meeting until solomon built the temple of the lord in jerusalem and then he said what from there they were in charge of what music remember what we said in 1 chronicles 25 and that music was what proffer Say it with me you guys come on are you guys here with me the music was what they were doing what? Prophesying, in other words, in reaction to the prophetic word that came, prophetic praise was now about to happen. That's why it says the Koharites at uh, the Kohatites they stood up and it says, What that they gave praise to him for the splendor of his holiness. That's verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to what sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of holiness as they went out. At the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love. What? What does this have to do with war? Everything. First of all, notice it's not only that this first sang, notice what happened. It says that they went ahead of the army. How does that make sense? Don't you think about it? Two armies are about to fight. Is the army meant to protect? Is it not the women, children, and all the other people that are doing all kinds of work? The people that are cooking. Isn't shouldn't you say the people that are singing, Why should the people that are singing be? But they were what? Ahead. Why are they leading in battle? I'm very glad you asked. Because, you see, God has to train us. Now we are getting to the deep part of prophetic praise. That's why you don't go into this prophetic praise warfare without being trained. David said in Psalm 144, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to what fight. And you say, oh, so isn't that just normal?" But look at what the verse, he says in verse 9. After that, he says, I will what, sing a new song to you, my God. On the 10th string lyre, I will make music to you. The one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his son, David, you see singing is about warfare but the question becomes why is it that they told them to lead so there's precedence when Israel goes into battle who leads which tribe leads give me Judges chapter 20 verse 18 which tribe leads 18 the Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God, they said who is to go up first, who is to go up what, and fight against the Benjamites, and the Lord replied who Judah will go. What is the meaning of Judah? Give me Genesis chapter 21. When Judah was giving birth to, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said this this time I will what? Praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. In other words, when we are going into battle, collectively, we go in with praise. We always lead with praise because that is where you know the battle is of the Lord. Are you following me? Music team leaders, where are you? And all the music people, say you see your role. And speaking to them, say you see a role. No jokes. Do we see their role? That is, they lead us in battle and make no mistake. Okay, let me open this. It may be a bit funny, but I'll open up to you. But, but it's just true. Ask any pastor that has ever started a church or that has ever entered into a church. Tell him the first department that gives him trouble. Do you know which one it is? <laughs> eh? It is music. To forget me, they're not all... serious. Music team. Music team. When we started, before we even started, even set it up, music team were the first to give me problems. Music team, always short fighting, always doing one thing, don't worry. God bless you. Right? (laughs) They are always not united, and then we look at it in some ways. I said, I used to wonder. I said, why is this thing a pattern? And I noticed the pattern. The devil knows that if the music team are united, then he starts having trouble in this place. Now I have good news for you guys. I am not joking. I am not joking. I have spent about the last three, four weeks asking the music team people, how are you guys doing? How is things? How are things? How are things in this music team? How is this person? Blah blah. In the five years that this church has existed, this is the healthiest, this is the most united, this is the most anointed that we've had of the music team. I'm not joking. And let me tell you this, as a church, the music team is a barometer for us when it comes to warfare. If the music team is healthy and united, that means that Satan is losing grip on the church because he's lost, he's lost their grip on them. I prophesy to you people, all of you, the music team people, where are you? Stand to your feet. I prophesy to you. God has used your mouth to sing. God has used these instruments to also play music. But from now on, you shall be prophetic soundless these instruments and these lips that you have used to sing, they will now be spiritual weapons of mass destruction in the name of Jesus. For if they go ahead of us and we need with praise, then Satan is totally obliterated. Have you understanding? May the Lord pour anointing upon you guys that he lift you up with different graces, not just to sing again but now to bring the people of God into their place of victory in warfare in the name of Jesus. This is why Let me tell you another thing that happens in church. You can sit down. Let me tell you another thing that happens in church. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I'm trying to open your eyes. A few times we have thought, should we delay when we bring our songs of adoration? Because our song of adoration is two, three minutes as we start the service. Why do you think we're thinking about that? Why? Because most of you don't come on time. You don't come on time. And so, some of you come, we sing three songs, you come at the last. Some people are even very fine. We just come towards the end for the, for the word. Let me tell you, you see that my alarm didn't go off on time. I was a bit tired. Um, I didn't iron my clothes. I did. All of these things are satanic distractions. Because what we are doing when we are singing songs of adoration, yes, it is true, primarily we are singing to God. Primarily we are singing to God. But secondarily, we are also waging warfare. So, Satan is here. He's being destroyed with his tactics on the inside, and you are on the outside and he's dealing with you. Because you see, what was it they were singing? What they singing? Satan, you are falling before us today. We have crossed Satan underneath our feet. Matt, Satan, Matt, Satan. Was that what they were singing? And they were going to warfare. What did they say? They said, What? Give thanks to the Lord for his love, what? Endure forever. Do you remember the song we sang about God's love today? Yes, we were praising God, but you didn't see all that was happening. All of the, some of the things that were happening is that demons were falling as we were singing the love of God. We were entering into battle. You see, am I just trying to tickle your emotions? I am not, because look at what then happens after. Oh, Satan is in trouble. Not today, Satan. As they began singing to sing and praise, verse 22, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon moab and uh, i got there i yeah moabites were there i'm <laughs> moab and mount who were invading judah and they were defeated now how did it happen i want us with a loud voice to read verse 23 together say it together the ammonites and the moabites rose up against See. Troy they annihilate them after they finished slaughtering the men from mount they held oh hallelujah you don't know what's happening it's not just that they were don't forget it was a coalition and what did the coalition do they were of three two of them now said these people we don't like the way they are talking the two of them what annihilated those ones after the two of them finished what did they do they now not looked at it and I don't even like you two. And they're feeling destroying one another. You see, with distraction, Satan comes to confuse us. But once we start praising, God confuses the confuser. Are you following what I'm saying? As we start to sing, Satan doesn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, your enemies that were coming together against you, they will start to fall on your behalf. There's a reason why when they told Balaam to go and curse Israel, he said these people cannot because they are blessed. Why? He said there is a shout of the king in their midst. May that shout ring out from this congregation. That is why Psalm 71 says this. This is Psalm 71, verse 22, 24. I will praise you with the harp of faithfulness, uh, with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will what? Shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered, and then my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For what? For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame, and may the Lord confuse Satan. Amen. May He confuse Satan on your behalf. Amen. It comes a time, as o Sophia said, <laughs> where the master becomes what the mugu. And the moog will become what? what? Satan will become the moog in your life. Amen. And finally, what did they do? What did they do after their victory? Verse 27, He says, Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps, and lions and trumpets before the battle started they were praising God verse 19 and 21 when the battle started they were what? praising God verse 22 after the battle had finished 27 and 20 what were they doing? the songs of deliverance will surround us they surround us guys build this garrison around yourself don't play with it and we are still going to do that. We are going to war, wage war this morning. But I first want to quickly address a group of people here in my third point. There are some people here, defiance through praise. There are some people here that say, you see, the problem with this is this. Jehoshaphat's story is not fully like my own. You see, Jehoshaphat saw the problem, but the problem I know met him. My own, have actually, the problem has met him. I don't think... I can sing. In fact, I can't sing. I won't sing. You know why? I have lost my ability to sing. I have lost my ability to sing. It is only those with strength that can sing. And my situation is devastating. I simply can't sing. In fact, you are saying, it's a miracle that I have even a little faith. Just a little faith. It's a miracle that I have any faith at all. But I don't have enough faith To sing. Because if I want to be honest with you, I have served God well. I serve God with all my heart. But he's allowed Satan to nearly finish me. I can't sing. I won't sing. If you're that kind of person, I'm sorry you feel this way. I can feel your exhaustion, your hurt. I'm sure they're legitimate. But can I beg you, don't allow Satan to rob you. Even if this is your last opportunity, I prophesy to you, you will sing. This, I can't sing, I won't sing, will turn to, I will sing. Because you see, maybe your situation is similar to that of Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, they went to a city called Philippi. Doing God's work, they preached a woman called Lydia. She gave her life to Christ. A businesswoman. Then they now found a poor slave girl who was under the influence of demonic spirit that some people were using her her to to perform divination so that they could collect money from her. They used her to collect money from people. And Saul and Silas set that girl free. They came against the work of Satan. They were doing God's work successfully. And so, do you know how they were rewarded? In Acts 22-24, uh, to 24, it says that they were rewarded with, they were stripped. They were severely beaten with rods. They were thrown into prisons. And their feet were fastened with stalks. Congratulations for doing God's work. I don't know, maybe that's the way you feel. And I've come to this law. After I did everything, I feel like I've been beaten by life, by Satan. I feel exhausted. I have done everything I can. And yet, I can't. And so my lips are sealed. They are sealed because I feel in the prison of my failure and my pain. So what do you do then? You know, if I were you, I probably would complain and be angry with God. Maybe give up on God. And maybe that's where you are now. Guess what? That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Some people will say, why don't you just read scripture? And read scripture over your life. Satan will say, yeah, I predicted you would do that. Then some people will say, why don't you pray? Let's gather around and pray. And that's a good thing. And Paul and Silas actually did pray. But Satan will say, I was expecting that. Paul and Silas did something else apart from praying. Acts 16 verse 25, you know what they said they did? It says about midnight, in all of these things that happened to them, about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. At that point, Satan is confused. He just cannot understand. How is it that in the midst of this, these people are still able to say, I will sing, I will sing satan had made a bet that i'm going to put these people with these prisoners maybe some of these prisoners had already started to think that maybe i am here because of my sin and maybe i should turn to this god but once i put silas and paul in that place they will say something like this that after all that we did for god this is what god has done for us after all the music that we play for him after everything that we did this is how he repaid us we curse god and die satan put those Paul and Silas there as a strategic way of removing some other people's faith. And yet, what did those people hear? They heard people that did not say, I can't sing, I won't sing. They heard people that said, what? I will sing. I will sing. This is the power of music. There is a certain pastor called John Piper. He tells about something that happened to him a couple of years ago. In 1981, can I have it there? In 1981, I was called late one night to come to an apartment where supposedly there was a demon-possessed woman. I called her um, Stella and we went together while our wives prayed at home. You know, the men have to go forward. Women stay at home. All right, what we found was a woman held in a room by some young Christian women who were intent on seeing the demon driven out of this woman. For about two hours, I talked to her and read her scriptures. Satan said, I predicted that. And prayed prayers of deliverance. I was expecting that. She became increasingly violent, knocking the Bible out of my hand and grabbing the prayer sheets and shoving me. At one point, at one point, about one in the morning. So Paul and Silas was 12. This one is one. When the conflict rose to fever pitch between the word of God and the satanic force in this woman, someone in the group began to reward. Oh, we are going to sing today. He said it was one of our familiar worship songs. It wasn't a special song that only deliverance ministers have. It was a, one of our familiar worship songs. And when she started to sing, when we started to sing, as we sang it again and again and again, and the Lord gave us a new, a new word for it each time, what happened? The effect was on her was dramatic. She began to tremble and threaten us. If we did not stop, you see now, Satan is desperate. The, then she threw herself on the floor and screamed for Satan not to leave her she came into she went into convulsions and then went limp when she came to herself she remembered nothing of what happened and what was willing and was willing to now read scripture and pray so some, some Stella and I knew from experience that singing to god is not a nice little emotional trip to spice up a worship a worship service for us it felt more what Like life, a matter of life and death. And for somebody that came in here today and said, I can't sing, I won't sing. It's a matter of life and death. By the grace of God, you will sing. Because as the songwriter said, Lord, you seem so far away. A million miles or more, it feels today. And though I haven't lost my faith, I must confess right now, I must confess right now that it's hard for me to pray. Look, I don't know what to say, and I don't know where to start. But as you give the grace, with all that's in my heart, I will see. Paul and Silas do that? Why did they sing? Yes, Paul could have read about Jehoshaphat, but I don't think it was Jehoshaphat that inspired him. Because it's true, they weren't exactly in the same place. No, Paul knew about somebody else that made him sing. Somebody else that was in the same, in fact, a was a more precarious situation than he. Remember the text that we started with in Hebrews? It says that we should offer up our... Praise as a sacrifice. But praise as a sacrifice can only come from people who are living. In other words, the sacrifice is living. That's why Paul himself in Romans 12 says, Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. But what we know about sacrifices is that they are dead. It takes a sacrifice to be offered for someone to die so that others can live. <laughs> Paul knew about somebody who went outside the camp to bear our disgrace. He says, let us go. He said also, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy so that their sacrifice can be holy through his own blood. Let us then go outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Do you understand what happened? Jesus died. He gave himself as a dead sacrifice so that we can offer a living sacrifice. But do you know what? In the anguish of his death, do you know what he did? (laughs) Jesus also knew that book. That terrorist manual against Satan called called the Psalms. And in the 22nd Psalm, as he was on the the cross, he sang things from that 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, That's the first verse of the 22nd Psalm. Later when he talks about the cast lot for his garment, he was also in the twenty second psalm. But the writer of Hebrews quoting that psalm in term, uh, Hebrews two eleven, he quotes Psalm 22, verse 22. He said, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters and in the assembly I will sing your praises in the anguish of his own death through the defiance of faith of what his father was going to do and how he was going to save many people. Jesus himself sang as well. And Jesus sang in his death so that now we who have come out in the resurrection of jesus christ will also be able to sing are you following me jesus offered a sacrifice in his death so that you can offer a sacrifice in your own life and as surely as jesus rose from the dead also when paul and silas do you know what happens? They said all of a sudden, there was an earthquake that came and shook the prison. And the prison gates were open. I declare to you this morning, if you only will sing out of defiance, the prison doors will be open for you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.